Hey, good morning to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a great Tuesday morning. It seems like it shouldn't be Tuesday because, well, with the holidays, we don't know what day it is. We get confused with that. There was two NFL games last night. There's two tonight. That's confusing. It's bizarre. We, we are living in a strange time yet again. COVID numbers across the nation, throughout the world, actually, just spiking with this new variant. But leagues are trying to navigate through it. The NFL, this was an interesting week because they actually moved a big TV game off of Saturday. And I didn't think they'd do that. The Browns-Raiders game, which was played last night, and if you didn't watch it, good for you because it was an unwatchable game. But that game was supposed to be a Saturday afternoon game, a standalone game on the NFL Network, which would have generated probably very good ratings on Saturday afternoon. Because it was moved to last night in a 5 o'clock start, I, I didn't think they'd get as good of ratings last night. So I was really surprised the league caved in. The league is all about the integrity of the shield, and you know they want to make sure that they put their best foot forward. Yeah, sure they do. No, what they want to do is get the games and appease their television partners, get the paychecks from them. The players could bitch and moan all they want about the safety protocols that have moved these games or not moved them in some cases. But if the players don't play, they don't get their paychecks, so they're willing to play what it amounted to was a crap product on TV last night. The Browns having to go with Nick Mullins, their practice squad quarterback as a starter. Disastrous for the Browns. A bad loss. Bad football for the NFL. I'm going to get into more of that, obviously. But right now, the biggest story in sports is once again COVID and what it's doing to it. So we're going to talk a lot about that as we go through. Certainly want to get started with the Bills-Panthers game and what happened at Ralph Wilson Stadium on Sunday. And if you heard me say that and go, it's not Ralph Wilson, it it will never, in my opinion, be the stadium named after a health insurance company because that's a bunch of shit that they spend that much money raising health care premiums every day not paying for things every day to common people, but spending that much money to have their name on a stadium where eight football games a year are played. So that's just my own little beef. The Bills beat the Panthers 31-14, to and you look at that and you go, yeah, good. Needed an easy win, got New England this week, controlled their own destiny. Everything is fine, just like we thought. The term fool's gold came to my mind as I watched the game. Zane Gonzalez was the most important player in this game. He didn't play. He's Carolina's kicker. He hurt himself in warm-ups, and it completely changed the tenor of the game. Because he wasn't there, Carolina's strategy had to change multiple times. Make no mistake, this was not an easy win for the Buffalo Bills. Carolina's defense is excellent. Carolina can run the football, and with Cam Newton as the quarterback, he's always going to be a capable runner. He ran for over 70 yards on Sunday afternoon. Unfortunately for Cam, and subsequently for the Panthers, Cam's shoulder is shot. Anybody who can't see that has never seen Cam Newton play prior to, let's say, the 2018 season. 
when Cam was at his best, dude had a cannon. Is inaccurate, didn't put touch on the ball, but could throw the ball through a brick brick wall. Now, Cam looks like a reincarnation of a fifth grader out on the playground trying to make a throw. He just can't do it. And because of that, the Panthers, though they have Robbie Anderson and, and more decent wide receivers that you would normally have to respect, because Cam can't get them the ball downfield, defenses can load up against the run and take advantage of that. Yet the Panthers still ran the ball for almost 160 yards against the Bills. And I, I'm tired of hearing about the number one ranked Bills defense. I can't begin to tell you how unimpressed I am with this number one ranked Defense And it's unfortunate, the picture Joe just put up there are the two guys who I think are the best two players on that defense, Micah Hyde and, and Poor, Poyer. Those guys have played great week in, week out. Taron Johnson is a great player week in, week out. Matt Milano is outstanding week in, week out. I'll give Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace credit for what they've done. But that's it. This defensive line, save for F.A. Obata, who last week got to play against his former team, F.A. Obata had two sacks in the game. F.A. Obata's played eight games for the Bills. He was a cast-off from Carolina. The Bills picked him up, has played eight games. He's now second on the team in sacks with three and a half. Three and a half sacks. If you're wondering who leads the Bills in sacks, Mario Addison with four. Starla Tulele has three. It's just not good enough. Their pass rush is non-existent. They can't stop the run, and their pass rush is non-existent. Other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? This team defensively is the most overrated unit in the NFL. People who stat watch will look at this team and go, you know, they're the number one yards per game defense in the league. But if you watch them week in, week out, and use this this game as your example, Carolina moved the ball. The first downs, Bills had 21, Carolina had 19. Total yards, Bills 312, Carolina 275. Each team had a turnover. And the rush yards, 151 rush yards for Carolina, 119 for the Bills. And the Bills, that's, that's good. I'm going to get to that. But defensively, the Bills can't stop anybody. They cannot stop the run. It starts up front. Starla Tule's not playing very well. Ed Oliver is, is having a nice year. He's just not big enough. You've got to put a big body next to Ed Oliver to allow his speed and quickness to make plays. Harrison Phillips is working his way back finally from that ACL and looks very good. The rest of the defensive tackles are probably not NFL caliber. Vernon Butler is stealing a lot of money this year being on that roster. The defensive ends. Do you remember the Bills' number one draft pick from last year, Greg Rousseau? Do you remember him? I saw him on a milk carton in Wegmans the other day because the guy hasn't made a play in a month and a half. He looked very good in the first couple games. Nothing since then. Crickets. Addison's been a solid performer. Jerry Hughes has been a solid performer. A.J. Epinenza was out again this week 
I believe it was injury-related. That gave Boogie Basham a chance. Boogie made a couple plays. Defensively, there's so much work to be done, but I'm going to get to why I'm not optimistic that the Bills are going to fix those problems going forward. This game, though, on Sunday, was a game where Josh Allen wasn't sharp. Dealing with the toe injury, we don't know how much that affected him. He only ran the ball one time. It was a 24-yard run and a very good 24-yard run. Ran over some people, made some people miss. But Josh didn't throw the ball well, especially out of the gate. few throws that were high. The interception he threw, it wasn't a bad read, wasn't a bad play. It was a better defensive play. I won't even hold that against him. But it just, he wasn't sharp. The offense... The the best thing I can say about the offense is they decided they were going to run the ball. It did so, 22 carries for Devin Singletary. The offensive line, due in part to COVID, was a disaster. Moving the rookie Brown from right tackle to left tackle, five penalties on the day for this kid. Look, I get it. Bill's Mafia likes him. He grabbed, he and Stefan Diggs grabbed the beer out of a guy's hands and threw it all over themselves. He's got attitude. Great, you can have all the attitude you want when you're a good player. But when you're a young kid and you're trying to find your way in the league and you've got a game where there's five penalties on you, four, and you get a taunting call right in front of the bench, I thought McDermott was going to go with him right then and there. That was about as fired up of a reaction I've seen at a player on game day that I've seen from Sean McDermott ever. That was... Well done, coach, because that stuff cannot happen. Can't. But this kid, he was put in a terrible position because Deion Dawkins is out with COVID. So he moves from right tackle, where he's below average, to left tackle, where he has no chance, and he's going against a very good front seven. So I can be lenient with a rookie left tackle making his first start there. But Ike Bucker, he's not gotten any better. Mitch Morse, he's not gotten any better. Cody Ford made an appearance again. He wasn't terrible this time. Is that an improvement? Congratulations, Cody. You weren't terrible. Daryl Williams, again, at right tackle. Safe player. Decent. Not good. The Bills on both sides of the ball are inept at this point. And I think going into the offseason, things have to change. Mario Addison's a free agent. Jerry Hughes is a free agent. Mitch Morse is likely gone after this year. You're going to say goodbye to Vernon Butler after this year. There are a lot of Starla Tulele. $5 million probably will send him on his way. There's going to be a lot of changeover on the lines of scrimmage. There needs to be. The rest of this year, and the Bills control their own destiny, the rest of this year lies up front how well they play both sides of the ball up front. If you look at it against New England this coming week, I'm going to talk more about that. If they are going to win, they need to be better up front than they were a couple weeks ago in the wind. And you can look at it and say, well, they had a chance to win, and you know they couldn't throw the ball, so this, fine. You don't think Bill Belichick's been breaking that tape down and has ways to attack the Bills' offensive line? You don't think Josh is going to get continue to get the crap kicked out of him this game? Now, 
Atlanta has no defense. The Jets' defensive line is okay. But those games they should win. It comes down to this week. But the expectations this year were an improvement on last year, which they got to the AFC Championship game. This is a step back here. Unless something miraculous that I don't see happening happens in the playoffs, if they get there, this is a disappointment. And it lies at the feet of the two guys who run the franchise, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. Brandon Bean gets a lot of credit for reshaping this roster, and rightly so. This was a bad roster when they came in. They got rid of the salary cap problems. They ended up making trades that got some people back. But if you look at the drafting, the first three rounds, they have selected in the first three rounds two franchise-changing players. Tredavious White's a great cornerback. They miss him dearly. He is a guy you build your defense around. Great draft pick. By then, it was Sean McDermott, not Brandon Bean. Then, the following year, of course, Josh Allen. It's a franchise quarterback that the Bills have been looking for since Jim Kelly walked out the door in the 90s. So, two franchise-changing first or third round picks. But then you look at the rest of the guys. Let's talk about the good players, players who are starters, useful players. Ad Oliver, solid pick. If he was taken at 23, you'd look at Ed Oliver and go, you know what, that was a good draft pick. But at nine, if you're a top 10 player, you should be a franchise-changing player. Ed Oliver's a good player. He's not a franchise-changing player. Second-round picks. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot Tremaine Edmonds with the 16th pick. Tremaine Edmonds is an average linebacker in this NFL. He's just not good enough. And and the Bills shouldn't have picked up his fifth-year option. Maybe things will change next year. Maybe the light will come on. I keep hearing how young he is. But he's just not good enough. He doesn't make enough plays. He's hesitant too often. Second-round picks. First second-round pick the Bills took under McDermott was Zay Jones. He made a great play last night for the Raiders. It's about the third great play he's made in five years. Not a very good player. Deion Dawkins, again, he's a decent left tackle. He's probably in the top half of left tackles in the league, maybe, if you're grading on a curve. But the next year, there wasn't a second-round pick. Then there was Cody Ford. Bust. Bust. The next year, A.J. Appenenza. What have we seen from A.J. Appenenza in two years to make you think he's going to be a starter at any point in his career? And last year, Boogie, Boogie Basham played in his sixth game last week. Six out of 14 he's been active for. The bad news is he hasn't been hurt. It's just he's not good enough. Third round picks. Harrison Phillips looks like now he can become a contributor again. So that's a solid pick. Dawson Knox looks like maybe he can become the tight end that the Bills have been looking for forever, a team that can't find a tight end. Devin Singletary, maybe he's the back going forward. But Zach Moss doesn't look very good. Brown, we'll see. You know know what I think of him. But where Brandon Bean has, I, I will say it this way, saved his reputation is what he's done late in the draft. The Taron Johnson, fourth-round pick, great pick. 
Terrence Johnson's a starter, an impact player on defense. He's a very good player. He's a nickel corner, so there's not a premium on that position, but he's very good at what he does. Gabriel Davis played last week very well in the absence of Emmanuel Sanders. He was a fourth-round pick. Looks like he could be an impact player. Of course, Matt Milano was a fifth-round pick. That may be the best pick of Bean's career other than Josh Allen. Think about that. A fifth-round pick is your best pick other than your franchise quarterback. And the other best pick in the fifth round is a guy who's an all-pro guard, which the Bills desperately need, in Wyatt Teller. So I guess my question is, to Brandon Bean, do you have trust in him to fix the places that he needs to fix? Look at what they've spent up front on the defensive line in the first three rounds. Basham, Rousseau, Epinenza, Oliver. Those are four guys selected in the first two rounds. Theoretically, you should have good depth and good talent at the defensive line. Yet watching Sunday... Carolina, nobody's concerned about their offensive line. Nobody's concerned about their pass game. There's no pass rush, and they're getting beaten up at the point of attack in the in the run game. Yet you spend four first-round picks in the last couple of years up front. It's bad drafting. It's very bad drafting. So do you trust Bean to fix the defensive line? I, I just don't get it. And here's the other question I have. If you have Wyatt Teller on your team and on your roster, you don't have very good players coming in. Cody Ford was drafted because they didn't feel Wyatt Teller was going to be that guy. Yet he goes to Cleveland and becomes that guy. Is it development? Is it coaching? Where's the ineptness on the offensive line? Where's the inability to find and develop an offensive line that can protect your franchise quarterback. Josh Allen goes into this game against Carolina. And again, Carolina's got a very good front seven. So I I don't want to dismiss that part of it. But Josh Allen goes in banged up. You know you're going to need to protect him. Yet he's sacked four times and hit many others. He got beat up again. You can't continue to send your franchise quarterback out there behind a bad offensive line, and expect him to have the career that he's projected to have. Eventually, those hits are going to take their toll. See Ben Roethlisberger. He looks like a shell of himself. Now, it's a long career for Ben, but he's just not the same because he's getting beat up every week. They've got to figure this out in the offseason. Unfortunately, I think it's too late for this year. Now, again, they still can win. They can win the AFC East. Maybe they can win a playoff game. Maybe. I'm not confident because of their offensive and defensive lines being so below average. And I don't know if it's scouting. You're drafting and acquiring the wrong players. I don't know if it's development or lack thereof. But when you look at this team, as much as we love the culture, as much as we love everything, the competitiveness, other than Josh Allen, who's the player who was drafted high 
who has improved year after year after year. And uh, one more thing about Bean. The best trade, maybe the franchise-changing trade that he made, was bringing in Stefan Diggs. We all love that move, right? Let's not forget that the Bills gave up a pick that became Justin Jefferson of the Vikings. As much as I love Diggs, would you rather have Justin Jefferson right now or Stefan Diggs? Who's a better player now and going forward? I, I, I think the answer is Justin Jefferson. So while you brought in a guy that changed your franchise, you certainly gave up a guy that changed Minnesota's franchise as well. And there were other pieces to that deal that went into it. So, yes, it's good that the Bills won. Yes, it's good that they control their own destiny. But it's not good overall when you start looking realistically at what this team is, what this team has become, and how it became to how it got to this point, and what your prospects going forward are. I'm not saying you fire McDermott and Bean. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying the love affair for these two guys is warranted because of what position they put this team in from where it was. However, talking about them as if they're top three or four in in this NFL and what they do, I think is misguided. That's what I'm saying. They are very good at building a culture, very average at acquiring the talent it takes to take a good culture and make it a great team. It just isn't there. They've been carried by a great young quarterback, and granted, that gives them a lot of leeway because they got a guy that a lot of other people didn't believe in, and they developed that guy. That's the other thing. The player that developed most under this regime is Josh Allen. My question there is, who developed Josh Allen? Was it the Bills and their coaching staff, or has it been Jordan Palmer in the offseason? Who gets more credit for that? Is it Brian Dable and the Bills, Ken Dorsey, their staff, or Jordan Palmer? I think Jordan Palmer is just as important as anything else. And if that's the case, that's not a Bills thing. So a lot to be concerned with in spite of an easier win. Now that I've let the air out of the balloon, let's talk about New England this coming week. I do believe the Bills can compete with the Patriots because I frankly think the Patriots are a very incomplete team. They went to Indianapolis on Saturday night and got their ass kicked. Yes, they came back in that game. And yes, Mac Jones looked good at times bringing the team back. But because Mac Jones is limited, they fell behind 20 to nothing. And when push came to shove... An excellent offensive line that Indianapolis has and a great running back in Jonathan Taylor changed the game yet again. That's the fear when you play against a team that can control the line of scrimmage, that you're going to get beat up front. Now, New England, they will have no such fear against Buffalo. And Buffalo is going to try to go into this game and win through the air, which is great. 
Stefan Diggs is a very tough man-to-man cover. He's seemingly always open, as is Cole Beasley. Gabriel Davis has taken that next step. He's your number three, and I think your number two next year to Stefan Diggs. Josh Allen should be healthier, should be able to get the ball to them. Can Devin Singletary impact this game? Now, the 22 carries he had against Carolina was a career high. Can the Bills take advantage of the fact you know Belichick always will take away what you do best? He's going to take away Josh Allen and the easy throws and make Josh, force Josh to throw the ball down the field and make difficult throws. The other thing that I think is there, though, is Devin Singletary in the run game. Now, the offensive line, you know they're going to struggle. They struggled last game against New England. Josh got beat up. They're going to struggle this time, too. I think that that's the key to the game. If Devin Singletary can get positive yardage, if he can run 15 times for, say, 70 yards, Bills have a great chance to win defensively. I still don't like New England's passing attack, nor does anybody else. Why not? Because you know you can't stop the run. New England's offensive line is very good. Why not just play man? Trust your guys. Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace, Taron Johnson, even Poyer and Hyde. Play man-to-man. One safety high, man-to-man, force Mac Jones to beat you. Out Belichick, Belichick. If McDermott wants to play winning football, and he's very conservative, he plays to to let his defense win the game at times when this defense isn't capable of winning the game, take chances. If you get beat once or twice deep, okay, so be it. You've got to go into this game aggressive with an aggressive mindset. Come up with a blitz package. Force the rookie quarterback to make mistakes. Hit him early and often. If there's no pass rush, Mac Jones is going to beat you. He's accurate. He's smart. Doesn't have a big arm, but he'll get the ball where it's supposed to go. It's on the coaching staff to deliver this victory. Look at that game tape from two weeks ago. You'll know what New England's going to try to do, except for they're going to be able to throw it more this time than they did last time. Make sure you put yourselves in a situation to force Mac Jones to throw the ball and get the ball out quickly. Quick decisions. Don't let him sit in the pocket and read the defense. Make him make a quick decision. Be aggressive. It's not McDermott's style. Go against the grain and get it done. So this week should be fun. I'm not confident. I actually don't think the Bills win this game because I don't think they're good enough up front, but I sure hope they do. Somehow, some way. The rest of week 15. The first game of the week was by far the best game of the week. That was the Kansas City Chargers game. Getting to see Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert go against each other was a treat. Watching the rest of the week, it, it just is amazing to me that the the league has really come back. After a year that started so brightly and we thought it was going to be a great year, there were so many bad games this year. This Chargers-Chiefs game was not one of them. Mahomes, 400-plus yards, three touchdowns. Herbert was really good again. Look, the Chargers, they're not there yet. Anyone who thinks they're there, you're, you're not watching 
the complete game. The game changed for me when Derwin James came out. Derwin James is one of the better players in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. He was bottling up Travis Kelsey. Goes out with an injury as he frequently does. Travis Kelsey went off. And Patrick Mahomes took advantage of that smartly, often. The Chiefs, on turf, in a dome, with all that speed that they have from Tyree Kill and Kelsey, they're a tough match. The only way you beat them, in my opinion, is you outscore them. And the Chargers continue to try to go for things on fourth downs. It's the whole analytics debate. But the analytics debate comes down to analytics dictate when you go for things, but players got to make plays. Jared Cook's got to catch that pass. That's a touchdown. There were three drop balls, I believe, in the end zone in that game. And while Herbert has a big arm, he's not an easy quarterback to catch the ball from because he throws it so hard. Better receivers make those plays. I always thought early on with Josh Allen, Bill's receivers had a tough time catching them because they weren't very good receivers. Get better receivers, they make those plays. I think the Chargers, over time, improve the talent around Herbert, and and they'll be better. But I, I have no problem with them going for it considering the situation and the fact that on the other side of the ball is Patrick Mahomes. They're going to score. You better win. You better score touchdowns when you have the chance to go for the win. They did. I have no problem with Staley doing what he did. I mentioned the Colts game against the Patriots. What I didn't mention is Carson Wentz only completed five balls in that game, and the Colts won comfortably. Colts are going to be a very tough team in the playoffs should they make it. How about Detroit? Detroit gets their second win of the year. They beat the crap out of Arizona. And this Arizona team, since Kyler Murray's come back from injury, there's been a few things the week before, the end of the game. He doesn't know whether he's going to throw it, whether he's going to spike it, what's going to happen. The bloom is coming off the rose a little bit in Kyler Murray. Phenomenally talented young man. But I, the mental side of the game at the quarterback position, in my opinion, is at least as important as the physical side. I'm not sure the mental side is there. I don't think it's there yet. I don't know if it'll ever get there because there's some instinctual plays that a quarterback needs to know to make that sometimes Kyler Murray doesn't. His athleticism makes up for it. But I'm not sure without DeAndre Hopkins the rest of the year, I think that's a huge blow to Arizona going forward. And good for Detroit. They play hard for Dan Campbell every week. That's a, a, a situation where there's no talent They need to get better, obviously, but I think they got the right coach. I really do. They play hard for that guy. The Houston-Jags game, this is just, who watched that game? Who who put their jersey on, put their feet up on Sunday afternoon and said, man, I can't wait for this one? If you did, props to you. You're a diehard. One thing I wanted to mention about this, Brandon Cooks had a couple of touchdowns, 100 yards receiving. This guy, year in, year out, has like 80 to 100 catches. And he has not played with a whole lot of very good quarterbacks. Bounced around everywhere, probably will be somewhere else next year. But he's already got 80 catches this year for Houston. He's going to end up near 100 catches. And Davis Mills is their quarterback? Tyrod Taylor is their quarterback? And this guy's going to end up close to 100 catches? Man, Brandon Cook's... 
you want to talk about underrated? There's the name for you. Another game that I can't believe people watched, and I know people watched because I know fans of the teams, and they sat there and watched it, was Miami beating the Jets. The biggest play in this game was a big guy touchdown to Christian Wilkins from Tua. Tua didn't play great. Zach Wilson didn't turn it over, so that's great. I don't know what to make of the Jets, but six straight wins for Miami and props to them. Brian Flores... Continuing to get it done down there. He is a guy that I I truly believe in. Get Miami the talent they need. I think you have a winner. And, and keep building around to equip messing with that guy. Duke Johnson, by the way, gonna win fantasy leagues throughout the league, throughout the country. Duke Johnson with a hundred yards and a touchdown. Cowboys beat the Giants. Man, New York football. New Jersey football, I should say. New Jersey football is awful. The Cowboys get a win. Trayvon Diggs get his 10th pick. Mike Glennon stealing money. How's Mike Glennon still in the league? When was there a time when you looked at Mike Glennon and you went, you know, that guy. Build your franchise around him. Guy's going to carry a clipboard and start two games a year for the rest of his life. He'll be 70. He'll still wheel him out. 6'8", 190 pounds, throwing darts to nobody. The Giants are a sad, sad football team. And one thing I have to add, Sunday in MetLife Stadium was Fan Appreciation Day. If you were a season ticket holder, and I don't know what season tickets cost for the New York Giants, but I'm going to guess a couple thousand dollars per. One of the more expensive Tickets in the league, supply and demand. It's New York City, after all. Everyone who's a season ticket holder got a free medium Coke or Pepsi. I'm not sure which. Medium Pepsi. There you go. Medium. Not a large. A medium. Are you freaking kidding me? Hey, spend $2,500 for a piece of crap product, and I'll give you a free Pepsi. That's awesome. How out of touch do you have to be to to do that? You should pay people to come see your stupid team. A lot of changes coming in New York. I, I think Joe Judge needs to go. I'm not sure he will. I don't know who Joe Judge has been around that has improved. And you can go, well, look, he did this well. What did he do well? What has he done well? Interesting there. Steelers and Titans. Joe Steelers get another win. They're alive. Ben got the crap kicked out of him again. But that's a good win. Or is it a bad loss? Because the Titans were up throughout this game. The Titans had the ball for 39 minutes in this game and lost because the Steelers scored the last 16 points of the game. Well, that happens when you turn it over four times. Is it too late to give Derrick Henry the MVP? And Brian Tannehill, my God, just don't turn it over. Seriously, don't turn it over. It's an easy win. You win that game, you're in really good shape. Brian Tannehill is not a very good quarterback unless the best running back in the league and the best running attack in the league is there to pick him up. There was an elimination game in Denver. I'm sure nobody probably watched this. I actually did. It was an interesting game. It was Cincinnati at Denver. And Cincinnati, Joe Mixon dinged, so maybe something is going to 
come of that if, if he's not able to go. The Bengals technically lead the AFC North right now and, and have the inside path to the division. They're going to play the Ravens. Not sure if Lamar's going to play in that one. But the Bengals are building something. Joe Burrow didn't turn it over, did a good job against Denver. Denver's a quarterback away. I don't know if they're going to keep Vic Fangio, but that defense in Denver is really good, and that's his baby. They've got a decent offensive line when healthy. They've got a good running back, young running back. Javante Williams, the rookie out of Carolina, is excellent. They've got very good talent at the wide receiver position. Drew Locke just isn't the guy. And, and watching Teddy Bridgewater get hit and get hurt, it was scary, and, and in large part because of what Teddy Bridgewater went through previously. Now, this wasn't a leg injury. It was obviously a concussion situation. I don't know where it goes from here, but if there's quarterback movement this offseason and Denver can find a Russell Wilson, maybe an Aaron Rodgers, they go from a 500 club, which I think they'll end this year somewhere there about either 8-9, and 9-8, nine, nine to, in my opinion, the second-best team in the AFC West, which is the best division in football if this happens, and a team that nobody wants to play because they're going to be very good defensively and very good offensively, a balanced unit for sure. They just got to get the quarterback. And I know that sounds simple, but it needs to happen. Speaking of quarterbacks and got to get the quarterback, I don't know if Jimmy G's the quarterback for the 49ers. I don't know if Trey Lance is going to be the guy going forward. I know this. Their offensive line and running game are excellent. And Kyle Shanahan is reminding me of Mike Shanahan, his father and former head coach of the Redskins and then the Broncos. But when Mike Shanahan was running the Broncos, it seemed every year there was a different running back running for big yards. Remember Mike Anderson? Yeah. Who? Yeah, exactly. He had some great years because the offensive line and the zone blocking scheme that they employed was fantastic and gave opportunity regardless of who the back was. Well, this year, the 49ers have gone through a number of running backs. On Sunday, Jeffrey Wilson had over 100 yards and a touchdown. Debo Samuel plays running back sometimes. Jimmy G has turned into the efficient quarterback who's the game manager but behind Trent Williams in that offensive line they're just murdering people up front and running the football and because of that they're winning games and they're in the thick of the playoffs Kyle Shanahan anyone can say the guy's an offensive genius I don't know if he is or isn't I know this it took him about seven games to realize the best way for him to win games is by running the football and now that he's doing it it's a very dangerous team. Defensively, they're good on the on the line, especially if Joey Bosa's healthy. I'm sorry, Nick Bosa's healthy. That's a very dangerous team. Teams that can run the ball, teams that can stop the run, still win in this day and age of NFL football. Packers beat the Ravens by one. The Ravens score a touchdown late, go for two. Second time in a couple weeks that John Harbaugh has decided to go for the win. I don't have a problem with it. I didn't like the play call that they had. I didn't like what they did. But I got to say this. When you're playing the Packers, and the Packers, in my opinion, are the best team in the NFL, and you have a chance to beat them like with your backup quarterback, you've done a hell of a job. And, and, and Tyler Huntley, props to this young man. 
undrafted, threw the ball effectively, couple touchdowns through the air, couple touchdowns on the ground. It's important to me that if you have a backup quarterback who needs to play, you don't need to change your playbook for him to do so. Lamar Jackson is the most unique quarterback in the NFL. You specifically design an offense around Lamar Jackson. So how many guys can you get as a backup quarterback that if Lamar misses time, you can then bring somebody in to replace him without changing what you do? The Ravens have done that with Tyler Huntley. And I'm sure there are teams out there looking at this kid saying, hey, you know what? That kid is better than what I have, and we can win football games like that too. So keep an eye on Tyler Huntley going into the offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up somewhere. Now, Lamar's still, the Ravens hanging on, and if they won this game, they would have been in really good shape in the North. I'm not sure now if they're going to be able to get over See if Lamar comes back for the Cincinnati game. That's going to be huge. This is a season that I think you're going to look at, if you're a Ravens fan, what if? Because what if you make those two-point conversions? What if Lamar is healthy against the Packers? Speaking of what if, what if the greatest quarterback of all time acted like a little bitch when he got his ass kicked? What if? Sounds like a 30-for-30. Oh, yeah, the man in the arena or whatever the hell ESPN's calling the story on Brady. I can't wait to see this year's version where Tom Brady could throw a surface tablet or run over to the Saints sideline and tell the Saints coach to go F himself. Yeah, Brady did that. Brady acted like a little bitch on Sunday night. Got his ass handed to him. The Saints defense is very good. Taysom Hill is a great quarterback if he's not your starting quarterback. Unfortunately for the Saints, Taysom Hill's your starting quarterback. He's not a capable starting quarterback. So the Saints, they are what they are. They're without Sean Payton, who's out out with COVID. You go down to Tampa, play great defense. Tampa has three injuries of no. They lost Leonard Fournette for the game. They lost Mike Evans for the game. And most importantly, they lost Chris Godwin for the season. An ACL injury. So now it's Brady, Gronk, Scotty Miller, and hey, who's the guy in the third row? He looks like he could run a fly pattern. Bring him down here. And Brady looked human, looked old. And you know what? New Orleans had some fun with Brady. They hit him often, they hit him hard, and they let him know about it. And Brady, who's done a lot of winning over his career, didn't like it one bit. And he was classless in defeat. I get it. Show me a good loser. I'll show you a loser in life. I understand that. And I don't expect Brady to be a good loser. Just don't be a dick. If you're the greatest of all time, be better than that. And he wasn't. And nobody pressed him on it in the press conference either. Because you know why? He's Tom Brady. And if I piss him off, I might not get my soundbite. The press, really, really soft. And it's unfortunate because Brady should have to answer to that, just like any other player would have to answer to that. The Raiders and Browns game last night, wow. What what do you say? The Raiders get a win. They needed a win. The Raiders, for them to, to need a field goal to beat the Browns with Nick Mullins coming off the practice squad to lead them, the Browns, 
th- this season could have been the Raiders. They're going to be in a transition, and I don't know where they go from here. But all the Derek Carr bandwagon fans can jump back on because he got you a win last night. It just didn't do much for me. <laughs> Speaking of didn't do much for me, Vikings and Bears. The Bears are so unwatchable. They are they. Justin Fields is exciting occasionally. He's not close to being a good NFL quarterback yet. They've got so much work to be done. But the Bears are just a boring, boring team. And they're on TV all the time, it seems. How many primetime games are the Bears on every year? I get it. Chicago is one of the biggest markets in the country. That's why they're on. But the rest of us don't live in Chicago. The rest of us want to watch good football on Monday night or Sunday night. The Bears, they're not it. Yet they're on back-to-back weeks on primetime. My God, stop doing that to us, NFL. I literally didn't watch much of that game last night. It was too boring. Oh, and the Browns had a chance to win. But how about at the end of the game? My favorite thing at the end of the game. The Browns are down two touchdowns. Last play of the game, they throw the ball in the end zone. It's right on the border. And the spread, I believe, was seven and a half on the game. So a touchdown, extra point, if you have the seven and a half, you're going to win. They throw what looked like a touchdown pass late. The officials rule it down at the one. Clock is expired, game over. And they're showing replays, and it was clearly a touchdown. Oh, remember a few years ago, the NFL changed the rule about extra points because they didn't want to have to drag teams out of the out of the locker room anymore? Yeah. Now they don't try extra points that don't matter. So when you score that touchdown and you got seven and a half and you're high-fiving your boy at the bar, and then game's over, no extra point attempt, eight-point spread, you lost. That's a tough one. That Van Pelt won't do it because it was a Monday night game, but that's as bad a beat as you'll ever see. That is a bad, bad beat. Two games tonight, Washington against Philly. Yeah, that's not a great game, but it, it could be interesting. I think the loser of this game is is done this year, so it's an elimination game. Should add a little spice to it. Seattle at the Rams. Seattle's playing better. They could give the Rams some difficulty. Rams got a nice win last week. Where are they at? So two games tonight, and it, you know the best thing about football right now. Because of COVID, they're moving things around. So we have two games tonight. Got a game Thursday, nothing Friday, two games Saturday, game Sunday, games Monday. Yeah, It's good to be an NFL fan. But as much as we want to be an NFL fan, right now, one-third of the league is unwatchable. Browns are boring as hell. They're a decent team, but they're boring as hell. The Bears are just unwatchable. Giants and Jets, stop. No reason to ever have them on TV ever again. Dolphins are a good team. They're boring. San Francisco's a good team. They're boring. Denver, Houston, the Jags, Detroit. One-third of the NFL should not be on any sort of national broadcast until they fix things. And I know you just be putting the same teams on over and over again. Would you rather watch Mahomes and Herbert five times a year? Or would you rather watch the Bears-Jets game? 
I'll go for Mahomes and Herbert. Urban Meyer got fired. Shocking. Didn't see that coming. Already things are better in Jacksonville. Look, the Jags have Trevor Lawrence, and I do believe Trevor Lawrence is going to be a great quarterback. I think it's going to happen. I really do. I know the evidence isn't there to show it, but my God, this was a disastrous hire from day one. Shad Khan went out of his way to recruit Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer didn't want the job, acted like he didn't want the job. And oh, by the way, the fact that Urban Meyer has been an asshole his entire life, now we all know that. Nobody should be surprised by that. When you're a college coach, it's easy to bully a 19 or 20-year-old kid who's striving to get paid. When you get to the NFL, you can't do that. Guys already have been paid. They're not going to put up with your crap. You're going to turn them off. The way Urban Meyer treated his players and his assistants was deplorable. This guy will be on TV next year on Fox, no doubt in my mind. But don't forget what Urban Meyer is. He was a good football coach for a long time. Real good. Maybe great. Just wasn't a very good person any of that time. Antonio Brown is going to be back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Remember when the Bucs signed him and they said, you know, it's going to be a zero-tolerance situation. We're not going to put up with anything from him. The first misstep, he's gone. He suspended three games for lying about his vaccination status. But Chris Godwin got hurt. He's out for the year. Well, you know, we served his crime. He served his time. we'll, we'll, uh, We'll have him back. This was Tom Brady going... We need this guy. Get him back. 100%. So the NFL, a lot of NFL because there's not much anything else. The NHL, they're on a pause now until after the Christmas break trying to get the COVID situation under control. I think the fact that the NHL has to cross borders to play, going to Canada to play, I think it's going to be a very difficult time as this new surge continues to go forward, I think the NHL is going to be in the toughest position of any league. They've also got the Olympics. There's going to be a pause there where they're supposed to send players to the Olympics, which I always thought was the dumbest thing that's going to happen in any sport. You don't stop your sport to your league to allow your players to go play somewhere else. It it just doesn't make sense. But the NHL, they're led by Gary Bettman, so say no more. We'll see how things work out, but they've they've got a tough job navigating this. Again, it's more difficult than the other leagues because of their Canadian presence. Um, Syracuse University basketball, two games canceled. Unfortunately, probably two wins, Cornell and Lehigh. They now start league play, theoretically, of course, on December 29th against Georgia Tech. We'll see where things go, but I'm not confident we're going to see a full season in college basketball either. I think the next month or so, there's going to be a lot of cancellations coming up. The Mets and A's have hired a manager in baseball. Remember baseball? That's the sport that we're not supposed to talk about because you can't make player signings because there's a lockout. Well, at least two teams have gotten a manager. The A's hire from within, Mark Kotze, their new manager. Probably a good hire because Billy Bean's very smart. He continues to make the right decisions. The Mets hired Buck Showalter. And as a Mets fan, 
very, very much in favor of this. Buck Showalter reminds me of when the Mets hired Bobby Valentine. Guy had been around a long time. Guy who's very smart and respected within the game. Manny Machado talked about Buck Showalter this week, how he held him accountable, made him realize how important every day was and acting and playing the right way. Certainly something that needs to go on is rumors continue to trickle out about what went wrong last year in the Mets clubhouse. Marcus Stroman, Javi Baez, and even Francisco Lindor, very divisive clubhouse apparently last year. Buck Walter's got his work cut out for him. In New York, there's not going to be a ton of grace time for them to be competitive. I mean, when you've got arguably the two best starting pitchers in baseball on your team, you should be competitive from the jump. Jacob deGrom, obviously, and Max Scherzer, the one, two. If they're healthy, that should give Showalter a good starting point. But it's going to be interesting to see how quickly Showalter, he knows New York. You picture there of him as a young manager with George Steinbrenner when he was the manager of the Yankees. Showalter's got a lot of experience with young players. He's got experience with veterans. They all seem to respect him. He knows how to handle the media, which is a big part of managing in New York. It'll be interesting to see how this works out because, you know, on paper it looks great. But never forget, never forget this. This is a Mets hire. And when the Mets do something, even though it looks like it's a can't miss, that's the right move, it's the Mets. So it probably screws up. But I'm optimistic. Go figure. It's a typical Mets fan. Wait till next year. Next year. I'm telling you. The best thing about this weekend wasn't a football game. It wasn't Buck Showalter. It wasn't anything other than seeing a guy who's one of the two greatest of all time at his sport play his sport at a high level, even though physically he's not really ready to be there with his 12-year-old son. Charlie and Tiger Woods put on a show on Sunday afternoon, and it was fun to watch. If you didn't watch it, I understand. It's not a big golf tournament. It's not golf is not a big popularity sport compared to football. But man, I'll tell you what, watching Tiger out there with his mini me, and, and he is a mini me. Charlie Woods is 12 years old. He pictured there with he and Hendrick Stenson and his son Carl, who's only 11 years old, to watch these little kids hit it. 17th hole. Tiger and Charlie are down one to the dailies, John and John two, who won the tournament. And Charlie stiffs a shot from the same tees that the pros are playing from. By far the best shot hit on that hole all day. Talk about having a little something internally. Look, I don't know what Charlie Woods is going to become. And while the genes are there and the golf swing is there and, you know, the physical things that Tiger had certainly look to have passed down to his son. Maybe not to that degree, but then again, maybe nobody has ever been as physically gifted as as Tiger Woods was. But in my opinion, the best club in Tiger's bag always was between his ears, his mental side of it. When Charlie Woods on 17, knowing they needed it, and and he did it on 16 too, had a phenomenal iron shot in. It just showed something. At 12 years old, this kid's hitting it stiff with all the pressure on. 
we could talk all about the mannerisms, how great the swing is, all of that. But for a 12-year-old kid to be that mentally strong, it was really impressive to see. Tiger, you could see him getting tired, struggling down the stretch. But, man, it was fun. It was fun to watch Tiger be a dad. It was fun to watch young Charlie show what he has. And, again, we don't know where this is going. I'm sure Tiger's going to probably play a couple times this year. I would think Augusta, although it's such a tough walk, I don't know if he'll physically be able to do it. I don't anticipate him contending, but we might get to see him contend here or there for the rest of his career. But I know one thing. When Charlie starts playing on the junior circuit, the amateurs go to college, we'll all be paying attention. And the expectations are going to be so unfair. But unfortunately for Charlie, not only has his father's legacy created those expectations, he's now created expectations for himself. I'll be watching. Can't wait to see how it turns out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a Merry Christmas. Much appreciated for the support through the years. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.